It is great to be with you. Jeffrey, I couldn't have asked you to pick songs that were more significant for tonight because the, the kingdom of God, we sang about the king, is most like a family. The king is our father. And it's those two concepts together that we want to play with a little bit. I love weekends like this when we get to celebrate part of our family. And we want to tie that into this kingdom I think it's really cool that the pastor's son led us in worship tonight, that Diane and I get to talk together, because there's nothing that more significantly pictures the kingdom of God than family. And I want to read from Romans 12, 10. Um, this is the ESV. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And since I have the microphone tonight, <laughs> I'm probably going to get in trouble. I want to honor our pastor and his wife. They have had a profound effect on Mike and my lives, our marriage, our ministry. Um, we love them very, very much. And so Amen. we do that. We do. We, um, when, when we started talking about this, it was kind of funny because I contacted Pastor Jeff. He wanted me to preach in the series that he's been in. And what would have been the topic tonight was watch out for false prophets. <laughs> And I called him and I said, Pastor Jeff, I'm not sure I want to talk about that on Mother's Day. <laughs> and we are going to pick that series up again next week. But as we started fleshing this out, I really began to think this is, this is super important what we're going to talk about tonight. Because the kingdom of God is best presented, represented as family. And mothers carry a load. I, I nicknamed this thing the mother load. Because many of you know, we'd be talking about a gold mine, a mother load, but the mother load, L-O-A-D, is the one she carries. And as we talked about it, we began to realize that what we need to do is we need to mix word and testimony tonight because there's power in story. Not only the story of scripture, but the way that story lives itself out in the rub and reality of our ordinary lives. And I think it's so beautiful. Diane mentioned this in the student message. If you want to turn there, it's John chapter 19. To me, this is one of the most profound moments in Jesus' life. He's hanging on a cross, and I'm sure we've all seen depictions of that, and it wasn't pretty, guys. It was, it was probably one of the most horrific things a human being can go through and, and live. And while he's hanging on the cross, agonizing and saying things like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. Things like that. He looks down and he sees his best friend and his mother. And he stops in the agony of that moment to do something incredible. And, and let's read it in, in, in John 19, start at verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, 
here is your son. End of the disciple. Here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Father, if we can unpack a little of the meaning of this tonight, through your word and through our story, I pray, Lord, it would be used for the comfort and encouragement of every mother and that it would raise up spiritual moms and dads in this house for the next generation. In Christ's name, amen. When I looked at that, I began to tell Diane what what I wanted us to kind of launch from. One of the things that struck me about that was that this is often preached and talked about as he looked at his mother and said, John, take care of your mom, take care of my mom. But remember, Mary had other children. So it seems he could have easily said to his biological brothers and sisters, take care of mom. But you got to remember, the only brother he had was a spiritual brother at the cross that day. Nobody else was there. John was the only disciple. And he looks down, and I love the way John talks about himself, the disciple Jesus loved. I love that. He's there with Jesus and Jesus' mother, and there's a, there is an exchange. It's a kingdom exchange that happens. He says, Mary, this is now your son. But John, this is now your mother. There's two sides to that coin. You remember when Mary received the word from the angel and she, she treasured these things about Jesus up in her heart. When she went to the temple and Simeon told her about the incredible things that God was going to do through Jesus, his son. One of the things he said to her, though, was a sword will pierce your heart. And as Jesus looks down, surely she had told him that story. And he sa- it says, when he saw his mother, what did he see? He saw a woman with a sword piercing her heart at his feet. And he looks at his best friend who understood him more than anybody. And the reason I say that is read John's writings. John talks about the things that were the pulse of Jesus' heart more than anybody. He knew, he got Jesus. He said, John, I need you to take care of my mom. But you know what else he saw? He saw the disciple that he loved. And I believe Jesus could at this point see into the future. And I think he saw that John was going to be the one disciple that died of natural causes, the longest living. He was going to be the one that the church had the longest to cling to, that had been closest to him. He was the one that was going to write, be called the apostle of love and write letters of love. He was the one going to receive the revelation of the end times. And he's thinking about him and saying, you're going to need a cheerleader. You're going to need somebody that knows how to believe the impossible. Mom, I need you to be there for John. See, it's a divine exchange that happens there. And I think in those moments, he's done this amazing job of painting the significance, not only of our natural moms, the importance of having spiritual moms. We want to talk about that today. I asked Diane, I said, I can't do this. I'm not a mom. 
I need you to take us through what it is to carry the mother load. What is this life of being a mom really like? And I want you to talk about that a little bit, babe. So as I was thinking about sharing today, I compare notes with my daughter, called her. I, I know a little bit about her struggles with motherhood. She has, her oldest is four, and my oldest is going to be 40 next month. So I've, I've you know, some of the bad stuff you kind of like don't remember anymore. <laughs> So this scripture that I'm using is her motherhood scripture, and she contributed to this, so I want to honor her with that. Psalm 71, 5 and 6. O Lord, you alone are my hope. I've trusted you, O Lord, from childhood. Yes, you have been with me from birth, from my mother's womb, you have cared for me. And I call this, from my mother's womb, you have cared for me. So motherhood, as we know, is a very unique role, and it's calling them different and a different calling than any other relationship that females have to embrace. It's very unique. It's mentioned many times in Scripture, and it's ordained and created by God. So motherhood is a gift, whether you carry a child in your tummy or you get the, the honor of choosing your special child yourself. Psalm 127.3 says, Children are a gift from the Lord, a reward from Him. So you're going to get a little bit of a testimony tonight, and I'll try to be brief. But I believe that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And I, I, I would love to hear more testimonies of you all and other friends, um, because I think it helps us to overcome. It encourages our hearts. So I see my life in three stages now, four, now that I'm a grandma. And so Psalm 71, 7 and 8 says, My life is an example to many because you have been my strength and protection. That is why I can never stop praising you. I declare your glory all day long. So I I titled that, I am not my own. So I found Christ in 1972, the summer of 72. It was a good summer. And the 70s were good, but 72 was really good for me. And I um, went to a youth camp. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And I found Jesus. And when I found Jesus, I found my first love. I found my papa. I found my true love. I found something that filled that God-shaped hole inside of me. And I made a decision then that I was going to consecrate my life fully to Jesus Christ. And when I found him, consecration means... To be, in, to be in process, to be set apart to God. And that is exactly the way that I felt. It was a glorious season in my life. It was like a circle. I, I describe this as a circle. I'm in the circle. Jesus is at the center of the circle. And we have this beautiful, one-on-one, intimate relationship. I grew in my faith. I prayed for my family who didn't know the Lord. I used to give my mother. We had... We had, this, it, we had the living Bible back then when we were teens. Um, and I would give my mother, leave her scriptures all over the house because she didn't know the Lord. But I found something that no human being could give me. And I experienced true peace. So it was that meaningful circle where I was in intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was confident that my future had to have him and his lordship in it. So when I dated and stuff like that, I, I understood that. I realized that. So stage two, seven years later, 1979, I found someone. 
that I wanted to share my life with on the earth. And he did not complete me. He still hasn't completed me. There's only one person that can complete me, and it's Jesus Christ. But he became my helpmate, and the Bible refers to him as my helpmate. And we had so much in common spiritually. We loved to do things together. We... People would say we were weird back then. We didn't have phones like we do today. We wrote letters and we'd have scriptures in our letters and stuff. People would think we were weird. Anyways, now I have this person that has to come in the circle. So now I've got to share the circle. It's not just me and Jesus anymore on this one-on-one. The circle's a little bit bigger. And in marriage, I don't know about you, but... I have a partner to come alongside me, and he's to love me as Christ loves the church, and I'm to love him and to submit to him. But this covenant that we've made, which is bigger and better than a promise, it stretches me. It convicts me. It sanctifies me. It challenges me. And here I am in the circle with Jesus, and my husband is there now with me. So now my consecration to Jesus is also loving and serving him. It's part of my servanthood. We're a team. So stage three. Next, we begin to have a family. So when you're about to have a child, you have no idea when you hold this child in your arms what they're going to do to your heart. You are going to love them with this love that is so overwhelming and frightening at the same time. And that love we know is from God. So now I'm feeding, diapering, changing. If you're nursing, your body is not your own. You're just, it's like exhausting. So you wake up every morning and you're exhausted. And I wrote down, I wake up exhausted and I ask God for strength. Now it's God, my husband, and the circle's getting bigger. And my consecration to the Lord is changing Because I'm serving my husband and I'm serving my family. This devotion to being a wife and mother and being a servant in the middle of a mess (laughs) is part of my consecration to God. It's part of my servanthood to the Lord. The circle has become larger. Now we have little ones to teach, little ones to love well, and little ones to to disciple. And I had three children in three and a half years. So I would not recommend that to anyone. It was challenging. So Psalm 7120, times of difficulty can be overcome. You've allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. You will restore me to great honor and comfort me once again. Do you remember when Mary, when Gabriel came to Mary and told her, what the Lord's plan was for her. And do you remember her reply? Be it unto me according to your word. Of course she was confused, didn't understand, but she said, be it unto me according to your word. My translation is, she said, yes, I will do anything that God tells me to do. My answer is yes. So Pastor Jeff talked last week about the narrow gate. And how that the easy way is not really the best way. That's not what scripture teaches. There's a cost also to motherhood. It's a narrow way. Walking in obedience to Christ is not easy. Jesus calls us to do hard things 
and motherhood and parenthood are hard things. God promises to co-labor with us in marriage, in motherhood, and in our walk with Christ. He said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. So we all have dreams. We all have dreams for our children. We know them the best, hopefully, outside of their creator. And as good parents, we're listening to them. We're discovering their giftings. We discover what they're passionate about, what they love, what they hate. And we're learning about their heart. But we're not called to create good, successful people. Now, I want my children to be good, successful people. Don't you? We all want that. But the scripture calls us as our assignment to make disciples. Now, it's not a fun thing, but it is part of my consecration to God. This is part of my family altar that hopefully I'm modeling in my home. And I pray that I've modeled well and I've loved well to help create disciples. So I have to surrender my dreams and my plans for my child to God and pray for God's calling and God's plans to be complete in their life. It might not be what I want. Most of the time, this takes patience and prayer. You guys know this. Patience and prayer. Free will is a gift that's given to all of us, including our children. Sometimes we don't like it that they have free will. God gives us all the choice to be in a relationship with him, and they have that choice also. He doesn't force relationship on us. Proverbs 6, 20, 21 says, My son, follow your father's godly instruction and follow your mother's life-giving teaching. Fill your heart with their advice and let your life be shaped by what they taught you. Sometimes we have to be like Pastor Jeff talked about two weeks ago, the woman that keeps going back to the judge. That's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because I am that woman. I keep going back to the judge. So we have dreams, and and I want to tell you what I feel God showed me about dreams. I I had pictures, and I had all my pictures up on the wall the way that things were going to be. My kids, they will tell you, I made them memorize massive (laughs) pieces of scripture. Um, Bible buddies. I made my boys take piano lessons for 13 years. (laughs) I wouldn't let them quit. They have all these stories they could tell you. But I had my dreams and my idealism. It was set. (laughs) And I had my pictures on the wall of the way things would be. I had a little picket fence. It was white in front of my house. (laughs) Trust me. And the Lord had to take all those pictures down. He took them all down. And this is what he told me. I have better pictures for you. I have better pictures for your children, and I have better pictures Mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. And I have to trust him in that mystery that he does have, and I have seen that to be true. I have found that to be true. So we also have disappointments. We have dreams, and we have disappointments. If you've been alive at all, you understand that life does bring disappointments sometimes. Sometimes our children disappoint us, and sometimes we disappoint our children. What do we do with disappointment? Well, my favorite scripture is 1 Peter 5 and 7. It says, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. 
So we have to take our disappointments to the Lord, talk it over with him. Sometimes the passage of time brings change, and God does understand and care about all of our disappointments. Our friend Bill says, when we stay in disappointment, we take our eyes off of the assignment that God's given us. So don't stay there too long. What do we do when we have disappointed our child? Well, first of all, you apologize and you ask forgiveness. Don't defend yourself. Saying you're sorry to your child and meaning it is super important. Obedience and repentance keeps us in that seamless connection to God that we must model for our children. I'm going to say that one more time because I feel like it's so good. Obedience and repentance keeps us in that seamless connection with God, and we must model it to our children. So I've always told my children, people will disappoint you because they're human beings. We're, we're humans and we let others down. But Jesus does not disappoint us, and he does not let us down, and he will never leave us or forsake us. So Psalm 71:18 says, well, I titled it Purpose in My Life. There is purpose in my life. Now that I am old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. So now I'm in stage four. What do I do now? Am I still challenged? Yes. What do I do? I pray a lot and I love well. I pray a lot and I love well, or I try to love well. My circle is bigger now. It holds 16. Everyone that's in that circle, that's in my circle, and you can ask them, and they will tell you what Grandma says. And that is, Jesus Christ is the center of that circle. He is the center. So if you're coming into our circle, as for me and my house, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And that's where I stand. I can see it on some of your faces. That boy married up, didn't he? He did. When I listen to Diane talk about these things, and of course I've lived these 43 years with her, and the 40 years we've had children and now nine grandchildren, there is a unique load. I use the word burden. She doesn't like that word because it seems negative, and moms aren't negative about it, but it, it feels like it to me when I listen. The heaviness of what you carry as a mom can't be duplicated even by me as a, as a father because I didn't carry these children in my womb. And there's a uniqueness to what Mary felt at the foot of the cross that Jesus got. And I think that's why he said, John, my brothers and sisters don't get it yet. They don't understand me at the level you do. They don't get the kingdom. I need someone who has my heart to take care of my mom because she's carrying the mother load. But then he flips it over, and this is another part I wanted to just chat for a minute about. He says to Mary, this is your son. And I believe there's more in that than just creating this relationship that may have involved them going off and living in Ephesus together and, and John actually caring for her as his own mother. I believe he was saying to Mary, John needs you to be for him what you have been for me. Have you ever thought about that? We, we forget, we, 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 we celebrate Mary in the beginning with all the stuff she did to bring Jesus into the world. 
But then it's like she fades into the background and Jesus is everything. But everywhere Jesus was, there was a really good woman standing right behind him. You think about the woman who treasured things in her heart. Even when her other children said, Mom, we need to go get him, he's lost a cog. Something in her treasured what she'd heard enough that she would stand at the foot of that cross and say to him, I still believe what the angel told me about you. And Jesus was saying, John's going to need that, Mom. We live in a generation that desperately needs spiritual mothers and guys, spiritual fathers. It's a desperate need in our culture. Not only has the erosion of the nuclear family left so many children literally parentless, but now we're in a generation that wasn't parented who are parenting. They never got it. It's gotten worse, and we're seeing kids now go through life not knowing what it is to have a person that will stand at the foot of your cross and say, I still believe in you. I've seen this woman do that with our children in some of their toughest moments when they didn't believe in themselves. She'd stand and say, still believe in what God told me about you. And then she'd go to God and get all up in his face as the persistent widow saying, you told me about my kids. We desperately need spiritual mothers and fathers to rise up and parent the kingdom. That's why I love what we sang about a king and a father. He's the same. Our father is the king and the kingdom is a family. And so it struck me, not only did Jesus care so passionately for his mother, but his friend who would carry so much of his heart he said, Mom, I, I need you to be for him what you've been for me. That's a spiritual mother. Diane mentioned that her, her parents were not Christians. They, her mom became a Christian, actually lived with us the last 16 years of her life or so, and wonderful, godly woman. My, my, my kids can't imagine, we called her Granny, can't imagine Granny not being a believer because she loved Jesus so much. But... There were people that stepped into Diane's life. I've listened to her over the years talk about them. And I realized how this woman became a woman of God who literally has more faith than anybody I've ever met was because there were women who came into her life and were spiritual mothers to her. And I asked her, I said, would you share a few of those people. I've gotten the privilege of meeting most of those people in my time, but I want you to tell about it. So this summer, um, in 1972, I told you guys I, I met the Lord, is 50 years. So this summer is 50 years I met the Lord. So I'm specifically and intentionally going back to those spiritual mothers, and I'm going to get to meet them. I thank them through the years, but they're both 86 now. And I want to, it might be the last time I see him on the earth, but I'm going to be with them forever. But um, my, I have a brother that was 21 when I was born. My mom had me when she was uh, 40. 
and my parents were alcoholics, and many times my brothers would rescue me out of a situation I, I didn't even know about and didn't need to know. But my brother married a girl that was raised in a Pentecostal church. Now, why she married my brother, I'll never know. <laughs> However, they married, and she took me to church and had me dedicated to the Lord when I was a baby. My mother and father wouldn't even come to the dedication. She had me dedicated to the Lord. She would pick me up, take me to Sunday school every week. So I went to vacation Bible school. I went to youth camps. And that, what you heard tonight, I committed my life when I was 15 years old to the Lord in 1972. So Janet is definitely a spiritual mother, and she's still alive. My brother is no longer alive. And, but she prayed for my brother for 20 years, and everyone told her to divorce my brother. And she had a word from the Lord that he was going to be saved. And he got saved in 1975. He went the other direction, and he never turned back. Never looked back. Never looked back. Was it, was it, I can't go into it, but I have a magnificent testimony about God's faithfulness to my family. And then I had a, a woman that was my Sunday school teacher in this church that my sister-in-law brought me to. And she followed me throughout my life, checking on me teaching me, praying with me at the altar. She was at my wedding shower. She stayed with me. And when Mike and I pastored a church in Minnesota and I was an adult, I called her and said, Sister Julie, would you tell me those object lessons you did at VBS? Because I need to do them at our church. So she was very special. She's in heaven now. And then I have another lady, Betty Madison, that is also 86, I believe, that I'm going to see this summer. And she encouraged me at youth camp, kind of like Pastor Ann does. And she, when nobody wanted to sit with me or I didn't know anybody, she made me feel welcome. She made me feel loved. And then when I came into the kingdom, she continued to model for me, to mentor me, to disciple me. So these are the main people that were my spiritual mothers, and I look forward to the opportunity of seeing them. And I say that, and we say this, that we're all spiritual mothers and fathers, or we can be, and the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to pour our life out for someone, to be there, to come alongside someone that needs maybe need the Lord, or maybe they need encouragement, or they need just a scripture and to follow up with them. And so we strongly, strongly believe in spiritual mothers and fathers. And I was a spiritual mother to my mother. I was 18 years old when she got saved. And through the years, I taught my mother, yeah. who became a wonderful Christian. Um, her story and my brother's story are so amazing. You, you, you can't comprehend. They did not walk to an altar and accept the Lord. God brought people into their lives and they accepted Christ. But we all need spiritual mothers and fathers. I want to illustrate it with something that happened when we were pastoring. I preached on Father's Day. I preached on fathering. And there was a man that came up to me at the end of the service. He was 88 years old. I still remember his name. His name was Otto. He had a German accent. And at the end of the service, he walked up. And he stood, I was up on the platform, wasn't quite this high, and he was standing there, he was a tall fellow. And he looked at me in a big tear streaming down his face. 
And he said, I've never had a father. And I've never been hugged by a father. And I reached out and brought him into my arms and he put his head on my shoulder. 88 years old. I was probably 30 something at the time. And he wept in the embrace of a father who was less than half his age. Spiritual mothers and fathers don't necessarily have to be old. They just have to be like Mary, believing the impossible is possible because of the God she served. So what we wanted to do tonight, telling you these stories and the story, is we wanted to pray for two things with you, family. One of those is for moms. It doesn't matter where you are in the stages of life. You carry the mother load. It's heavy. Uh, I, watch her, I watch her carry that with our adult children. I watch her carry that with our grandchildren. We have them stretched from 18 to 8 months. And I see the burden she carries. Uh, it's the heart of Jesus for them. And we need, as a family of believers, husbands, sons and daughters, we need to remember what our mothers are carrying, what they've carried for us. If Jesus on the cross had time to take care of his mom, we do too. And then the second thing, and it's probably just as important in this day and age, is that God would raise up in this family of believers, mm -hmm. spiritual moms who like Diane's mothers, stepped into her life and took her from an unbeliever's home to being a woman of God by mothering and caring for her the different places in her life. Jeffrey, would you mind grabbing a guitar and just giving us a little music? And I just want to pray with you. Um, if you're a mother and you're here carrying that load, you've recognized that stuff Diane was talking about. I want to pray for you. You deserve the support and the prayers the people of God in this family. But church, I want you to pray. In this culture and in this generation of motherless and fatherless people, the revival that will come in the final days will need moms and dads who can gather up people who are brand new believers like Diane did for her mother and mother them and father them into the kingdom. Would you stand with me? all over the building. And, and I'd like to just lead us in that prayer. Babe, you could jump in if, if you want. Father God, we're just so grateful that you, in your word, weren't afraid for these little moments, these little sidebars that might not seem important to a lot of people to do something so earth-shaking as you did when Jesus spoke to his best friend and his mom. Lord, I pray for the moms in the house online tonight. Some might have prodigal children away from the Lord. Some may have lost a son or a daughter, maybe miscarried a baby. Some of them, Lord, are, are wondering how their kids are going to make it. They're worried about their grandchildren, and they're, they're persistent at your feet, calling out to you. I pray for the spirit of endurance and encouragement to cover them today. We bless them in the name of Jesus. We pray that they would be encouraged this weekend. 
that they do not labor in vain and that they're doing something very close to Father's heart. Maybe would you? Lord, we pray for fathers and we pray for sons that they would appreciate and love the mothers in their lives, the wives in their lives. You'd give us a new appreciation for one another, that we would honor one another. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation and all you have done for us on the cross. In Jesus' name. And Father, we ask for a release of that anointing you talked about in Malachi when you said that you would turn the hearts of fathers to children and children to fathers. I pray that same thing for mothers. I pray that that spirit of parenthood, of mothering and fathering in this kingdom would get a hold of us, especially those of us who maybe our kids are grown, to reach into the next generation and find someone who needs to be loved into the kingdom. Father, I pray that this weekend our hearts would remember that while you are our king, you are also our papa, and your kingdom is family. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.